Hello, and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. With your host, Kenneth Bocor. This is episode 52, recorded on September 22nd, 2023. This episode of the EV Revolution Show is sponsored by File Sanctuary. Need a great web host for your business? Need to get email at yourdomain.com? They provide professional, feature-rich web and email hosting for any project you have in mind. Get started today at filesanctuary.net forward slash cloud and save 10% with promo code EVREVSHOW. All right, hello there and welcome to this edition of the EV Revolution Show audio podcast. As you heard, my name is Kenneth Bocor, your host, and always excited to uh, look for people that have really great opinions and knowledge in the EV market space. And and I'm honored to have a guest today that I uh, read an article that she published um, last month in August um, about automakers trying to dodge their EV commitment. So we're going to stir the pot on this show a little bit, which I love. I love to hear this kind of stuff and to delve in what she meant by that. Um, I'm honored to have Kathy Harris. She's the Senior Advocate for Clean Vehicles and Fuels, part of the Climate and Clean Energy Program at NRDC, which is uh, the U.S. Natural Resources Defense Council. And my understanding is that they combine the power of more than 3 million members and online activists with the expertise of some 700 scientists, lawyers, and other environmental specialists to confront the climate crisis, which we all know that we're in, helping to protect the planet's wildlife and wild places and ensure that we have a clean place to live and breathe good air in the future. So welcome, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me today, Kenneth. As I catch my breath, thank you for joining me. It's the longest intro I think I've done so far. No, that's great. And, you know, thank you for for being part of an organization that's doing great work as well. There's so much that needs to be done. So it's great to have so many advocates and people that are, you know, looking at real intelligence to provide real information to, to consumers and to the public out there. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that. Now, I wanted to dive into this article, um, you know, that you wrote about the automakers Now, you know, to set the stage, I guess, for listeners here, you know, all the pretty all the OEMs have electrification plans, you know, Honda is probably one of the the latter ones to jump on that. But uh, pretty all the big ones have plans. Some like GM say they're all in by 2035. We know Tesla has been a huge catalyst into spurring that market space over the next few uh, several years. Uh, and they're all making these big claims. Now, your your viewpoint is in looking at information when you dug into this is that despite a lot of the claims um, to support EVs that these OEMs are making, uh, you know, they're still attempting to to sideswipe or to get around to modify or manipulate some of the federal standards. And when I when we're talking about federal standards on this show, we're talking about U.S. federal standards because you're U.S. based in the East Coast. But similar concepts would apply here into Canada and potentially into other countries of the world that have similar policies and standards, I would assume. Uh, so that they're trying to kind of go around or, or manipulate those, modify that that would uh, you know have an impact on acceleration on accelerating the transition to actual clean transportation. So, you know, you're saying they're trying to have it both ways. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So 
the um i guess to level help level set first the the standards that that you mentioned are the united states environmental protection agency's mm-hmm. latest proposed standards for light duty tailpipe emissions so trying to help regulate the amount of toxic pollutions that are coming from our tailpipes and that regulation that is proposed by epa just to level set is not a regulation on a specific technology. What EPA does is they set a target for grams per mile of emissions that can come from the tailpipe. And in this rule, they've made some assumptions or estimates that in order to achieve that level of stringency that EPA has put forth, automakers are going to choose to achieve that level through the adoption of zero emission vehicles, including electrification. Um, And what's been interesting is that in EPA's proposal, they have considered a lot of the automaker public commitments that have been made in helping to make that decision in how stringent the regulation could be. Um, But since that rule came out, there have been a lot of news articles, a lot of blogs from the from different companies and different media statements with concerns over EPA's commitments that they have recommended or suggested within the regulation itself. So it's been very interesting because EPA has taken, you know, what has come from the mouths of the automakers (laughs) in making these rules. And now they are, you know, concerned over the level of stringency that EPA has proposed. Um, And so, you know, in this research that I was doing for this blog, I really wanted to just try to understand, you know, what were the public commitments that have been made and what have been statements that automakers have made? What public commitments of investments have been made recently (laughs) that all indicate that the industry is transitioning in this direction towards clean transportation? and yet the dichotomy of concerns over a regulation that was built upon those investments and those public pronouncements. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I I think you mentioned the target is 50% uh, Zev sales by 2030, which is a pretty large uh, commitment to to push on an industry that's still trying to find its way for the most part through this new technology and this new era. And I guess it's safe to say that a lot of these policies are, are initially driven by CARB that continues to have great influence since they're the biggest automotive market in the U.S. and to say in North America, um, the state of California themselves. So I guess that influence is is, is utilized and uh, some of that knowledge that's gained by CARB is pushed up into overall federal standards and then which of course could change depending on the administration that's running the country. We all know the last administration was trying to go backwards and now the new this current administration is is trying to proceed back back forward again into the future. So um, do you see any risks, I guess, first of all, just with the political landscape here? You know, so California has always been a really great leader in terms mm-hmm. of electrification and helping to support that. Um, the, the rule that you mentioned, um, the Advanced Clean Cars 2 rule that CARB adopted in 2022, um, that we're seeing a variety of different states starting to adopt that regulation as well. Most recently, Maryland actually announced Mm. just this past week that they have adopted um, that policy. So we're now up to eight states that have adopted the regulation, and there's several more this uh, fall that are planning to adopt as well. And that's important to note, too, because California's rule, which under the Clean Air Act can be more stringent than federal Mm. government tailpipe emission standards, that goal is actually 100% electrification by 2035. Mm. Um, so that is, you know, again, wow. EPA's standards is not a mandate on any 
technology. All EPA is doing is setting tailpipe emission standards and having a, an estimate of what that will be achieved with through electrification. So no requirements of technology. California's regulation does require an increase of zero emission vehicle sales in states, accumulating in 100% new sales by 2035. Okay. Um, and so what's interesting about that is that, you know, 40%, we're, we're sorry, 25% of the market is has already adopted this AC2 policy. Mm -hmm. And when California was adopting that regulation, it's important to note that no automaker was against the, the rules. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they have requested additional support to help with infrastructure development and incentives to right. help stimulate the market, but there was no opposition from automakers on that 100% goal. So mm -hmm. it's been interesting to see that now <laughs> when we're looking at it in a larger federal sense, there are concerns over a, a lower target in an earlier year um, that, you know, is, again, achievable from EPA's perspective, just from the already announcements that have been made by those automakers. Yeah. And, you know, they do listen to California. As I mentioned, it's the biggest market in the U.S., if not North America. So it's a it's a market that they all want to sell quite heavily into because it is such a big market. So that kind of sets the precedence for a lot of the other areas uh, by by saying, yeah, we'll agree to that because we want to continue to sell and play in this market space, right? Because there's restrictions if you don't adhere. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's interesting where EPA has lesser, you know, uh, uh, lesser standards, I guess, than what California has, and they're starting to balk at that. So, but, you know, in fairness, I guess, uh, it, the automakers have made investments, you know, there's there's uh, tens of billions, if not, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars I think in excess of 200 billion US at the, the at least the major OEMs in the US have, have made towards investments in electrification. Is that correct? Yes. Um, our recent study that we conducted back in January of this year found that two, over $210 billion of investments have been um, announced so far just in the United States. Um, and so that's, you know, an important point too, because I want to highlight that this transition is not just occurring in the United States. This is a global transition that we're seeing. And, and frankly, the U.S. is behind many of our global partners in this space as well. But, you know, the $210 billion that we're seeing invested here in the U.S. is another indication of just the um, commitments that the automaker industry is to this transition. Um, and again, that number is from January. And since January, you know, we've seen announcements about charging infrastructure development and additional investments coming into the U.S. as well. So this is continuing this momentum towards this transition, yet there's still concerns over what, you know, the Environmental Protection Agency has proposed. Yeah. And, you know, and certainly, as you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, the current administration in the U.S., the IRA, I mean, that that is a, a something that's never been done, you know, especially here in North America and the U.S. to to help promote the, you know, the the movement to cleaner transportation. Right. There's a lot of, you know, over over many years, a lot of investments that's going to be made, you know, including, as you said, incentives to help car companies, to help consumers get into these vehicles that, you know, are costing more upfront than a similar ICE vehicle because of, of the costs and supply chain and, and the ramping up and economies of scales that most of the major OEMs are still working on getting to. 
Um, so it's very important that the government is standing is behind that. And there's, I guess, uh, elements that there's going to be needed continued investments by the major OEMs into the. I, I'm seeing some numbers around 1.2, 1.3 trillion by the end of this decade to continue to move them the needle to where they need to get to. Is that correct as well? Um, I'm, I'm not sure the the number that you've cited, but mm-hmm. yes, we'll continue to see you know investments in in this space and have a you know continue to see these announcements moving forward. And I, I, in terms of the investment dollars, you know, mm-hmm. it seems every day there's a new announcement. <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, I think what's also important to note is that a lot of the invest the announcements that automakers have made in terms of their commitment to a transition to zero emission vehicles um in some cases towards 100% zero emission mm-hmm. vehicles you know by the time frame of 2035 um, is that those announcements came before the Inflation Reduction Act was even passed mm-hmm. so you know we would assume that those commitments would be easier to achieve now with those strong federal investments and helping support that industry being built here in the United States as well. Um, and yet, you know, again, we're hearing these these concerns that these goals are unachievable despite these public announcements and despite the public's or the uh, the government support mm. that we've seen, you know, for for helping the auto industry to achieve these goals that they've set for themselves. Yeah, so we've got, you know, uh, the regulations stating, you know, achievable targets that the OEMs have agreed to prior. We have investments in the U.S. government to help drive the economy towards that clean transportation so that the OEMs making these investments will have an economy to sell into and to be profitable in doing that. Um, yet some automakers, and of course we have automakers, like you said, you know, GM, of course, I claimed hundred percent by 2035, but, you know, you've mentioned in your article that some automakers are ignoring their previous commitments and, you know, like Nissan amongst others. And, you know, why are they doing that? Why do you think that they're, they're kind of rolling those back or just flat, you know, blatantly ignoring them? I can't speculate on the reasoning behind why the automakers are walking back all of these things. You know, it seems, as as I said, with all these commitments that are being made from a public perception, it does seem as though this is, you know, where the industry is going. And I think in addition to the automotive supply developing, we're also seeing an increase of demand of these vehicles as well. And it's mm-hmm. clear that, you know, Americans are interested in these vehicles. Um, you know, where we've reached a, you know, I think it's over seven yeah. percent of mm-hmm. new vehicle sales have been electric just this year alone. Um, so you know, we're seeing exponential growth in demand of these vehicles. Um, you know, California, as an example, has 25% um electric vehicle sales mm-hmm. this this year so far. Wow. It means one in four cars that are being purchased are are zero emissions. So you know that that's why I I wanted to kind of write this article was because this is such an interesting dilemma I guess or catch twenty two <laughs> of it seems as though you know the auto industry is is investing all this money and then we also have all this demand coming and this should be the time where we can you know further accelerate this transition to zero emission vehicles on a more rapid timescale like some of our global partners or global mm-hmm. um global uh. Yeah, global partners. But um, instead, it, it seems as though behind the scenes and in regulations, there's still this hesitation to kind of move forward with what they've they've adopted or what they've announced publicly. 
Yeah, and we're going to dive a little bit more into that, but I did want to comment that you know you brought up some other auto uh, OEMs in your in your blog post there that you know I mean Toyota has been a surprising organization. I've been kind of beating up on them in my own little way for several years, you know, saying they've kind of really got to dive into the all electric, and then here they are doing a complete one eighty uh, over the last year, saying we're we're going you know head head on in now and going to develop solid state and you know the the watch out for us we're going to be a main player which they can be they have certainly have the capability to be you know a major player in that market and so i'm excited to see companies like that you know but then i'm disappointed in companies like Stellantis again who are you know have, have come out with these grand plans with their STLA technologies and different uh, different offerings but they're very slow to get to market um, in kind of building these out. So um, again, you know, the foundation's there for all the, the OEMs to, they say that they want to do it. There's a lot of support to help them get there and to make it profitable for them at some point. But, you know, how really are they starting to kind of dodge these commitments? Is it, is it, is, is it in that hesitation or what other things are do you see them doing? Yeah, the largest things that I've seen so far is really in the regulatory space and trying to kind of make the regulations from the federal government, which will affect, you know, vehicles throughout the whole entire United States, um, weaker than what they can and what they should be. Um, Because one thing we haven't talked about yet is, you know, the importance towards transitioning Mm -hmm. to zero emission vehicles is we're in a climate crisis and we've seen all of the the summer, how how that is affecting us day to day. And so we don't really have time to wait to help this transition. And we really need to be, um, pardon the pun, you know, hitting the the gas or the yeah. electric pedal. And thank you for saying that because I'm blue in the face by telling people and they think I'm, I'm nuts, but I appreciate that, that you have the same sentence that I do. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, now is not the time to kind of waffle between mm-hmm. our commitments and we really need to all come to, you know, the conclusion that we we need to accelerate this transition as soon as possible because these regulations also are just on new vehicle sales. And we know that vehicles stay on the roads for 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so if we really want to decarbonize our transportation sector, which is the largest source of climate harming pollution in the United States and globally, mm-hmm. is that we need to transition the new vehicle market towards cleaner vehicles as soon as possible. Totally agree. Now, you know, Ford has, of course, I guess, been supportive. Uh, one of the few that are coming out in support of the EPA's proposal, you know, they state they're all in as well. Um, I'm continuing to wait to see that because they only have a couple of products out amongst their portfolio. But, you know, they seem to be saying the right things um, and trying to get that way. So um, there are some pathways that these OEMs have for compliance. Um, can you talk a little bit about those and what that means? Sure. So. As I mentioned, you know, the EPA regulations, if we're just talking about that, that regulation, it is technology, it is not a technology forcer by any means. It um, simply, the modeling looks at what the trend, what the target stringency is for a grams per mile that will be emitted from the tailpipe and looks at the whole entire fleet of an individual manufacturer or the United States. And so automakers have the flexibility to figure out the best way to achieve those levels of stringency. Um, Again, EPA is predicting that it'll be most easily achievable through Mm -hmm. electrification because that is where a lot of investments are going and most cost effective for automakers. But by no means does it mean that, you know, a car company can't produce a a gasoline car anymore to achieve that level of compliance. If they do choose to use that pathway, it probably will have to be a hybrid 
vehicle mm-hmm. or a more efficient vehicle, um, mm-hmm. as opposed, you know, as opposed to the current gas guzzling cars that are out on the road as well. So it just, you know, there's no requirement in the EPA standards that says this has to be an electric vehicle. 67% of your fleet has to be electric by mm-hmm. 20. 20- 32. This is just simply, you know, what EPA is estimating based off of what e- what uh, the the car companies have already announced. So, right. you know, there, there's no technology requirements and the car companies have the flexibility to determine how they will and what is most cost effective for them to achieve that level of stringency. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, you know, on my channel and, and the efforts that I do, I basically promote vehicles that have a plug. I think that, you know, we're at a, a point in with the technology and the offerings that are out there, especially over the last few years, that it really is a disservice for consumers in most in, in general. In most cases, there are obviously exceptions for use cases and things like that. But in general, it's a disservice if they're not looking to a vehicle that at least has a plug and even a capable plug-in hybrid. So I just recently tested uh, Land Rover, Range Rover. Uh, now it's an expensive product, and not every consumer is going to afford that. But there's a, a product that has, you know, a, a 60 mile range or 80, 90 kilometer range, which is more than usable for daily use cases. Which means that, or the Mitsubishi Outlander, which is the, one of the number one selling PHEVs globally, it has enough range to do your daily back and forth. Plug it in even to your wall socket. You don't need to invest in any technology at home and then get that range back and, and rinse and repeat the next day. So you're driving, you know, 60, 70, 80% of the time in all EV mode. So that is not only saving you money at the, by not going to the fuel pumps, but also, you know, lessening your, your emissions out of that vehicle by that amount as well. So there are, as you said, there are the tools and technologies that OEMs can put in place today, but they just continue to build and sell these big SUVs. And I know pickup trucks you know, are different. They have a, a different use case, uh, a lot of work uh, fleets. I get that. But, you know, they, they, it's really hard to kind of pull them and yank them away from that. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, that's why I was very excited to see the F-150 Lightning mm-hmm. come out, because I think that there's also this misconception when we think about electric vehicles, that they're small, like clown cars, you know, yeah. that you can fit two people in and they're just for city driving. And I think that the F-150 Lightning in particular was really the first indicator. And um, I hope, you know, showing the public that this is not just, you know, the EV of the past that you're thinking of, but that we can have use cases for, you know, for trucks, for for vans, for SUVs, Mm -hmm. every type of make and model of vehicle that you're used to can be electric and is not, you know, reducing any of the um, the features that you you may have been used to in the past, but it does save you money at the pump, um, at the quote unquote pump, um, because mm. fueling with electricity is significantly cheaper than um, gasoline. And then also you don't have to have as much maintenance on your car as well. So I think that all of these things, again, I, I, I as we see more automakers make these commitments and these announcements and these different types of vehicles, I'm, I think it is going to help with some of these misconceptions. But to your point, it, it does, it seems you know, like a dichotomy to me that, you know, we're seeing all these transitions and yet there's still concerns from automakers that, you know, this is too far too fast. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I understand business, they need to be able to sell other products to fund these new tooling, these new investments, these buildups on the EV supply chain, the plants, I get it, you know, 
that's the business thing to do. But I guess to your point, you know, about them saying one thing, but actually doing another, what I've observed over the last few years is I, I still get a sense of frustration that they're not, as you said earlier, they're not moving fast enough. And something like GM as an example, um, who have been saying the right things. I've been, you know, quoting GM now since 2016, 2017, uh, when Mary, you know, really kind of, you know, was riding the ship and turned things around into that future EV um, future that they're trying to build. But I, I just get frustrated that it's so slow. You know, I went last year to the car show, looked at the Equinox and said, this is a great, this is a great mass market vehicle. Get them out there, right? It's a great, great offering. It's got all, hits all the right buttons. It's at a price point that's much more mass market affordable. And yet here we are a year later and, and I don't see them on the roads or people are in showrooms yet, you know, still at, still touting car shows. So is that where you're, where you're seeing some of the frustration is that they're just not moving fast enough? So I've been working in the EV space now for about eight years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it has been really interesting to see the transition from, you know, just us having a Nissan Leaf to, I think there's 91 models available yeah. um, currently. So I, yeah. I do, I do see that the industry is progressing and, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to downplay yeah. that. I think that that is really positive and Again, we're seeing the supply increasing, but also the demand increasing annually too. So definitely do not want to downplay that. Absolutely but I do correct. think that, you know, we have this sense of urgency that we do really need to help to accelerate this as fast as possible. And we just don't have time to delay. Um, and, you know, the transition will will take time, but starting today is the best time to start that transition and not wait 10 years until we quote unquote, see where the market takes us. Mm -hmm. I think it's very clear that the market is taking us in this direction of, of zero emission vehicles and that we, we need to kind of embrace that as opposed to being hesitant of, of a change for the future. And is it safe to say, and I think the OEMs understand this, that, you know, internal combustion vehicles, as you said earlier, aren't going away anytime soon. There's a huge global installed fleet. And again, an EV doesn't work for all use cases in many areas today. And in a lot of countries, their move to electrification is going to be, if ever, I mean, at least in a foreseeable future, you know, some countries just aren't going to get there. So, you know, there is a, a markets that are still going to sustain the, the internal combustion side and uh, OEMs will continue to be able to service those marketplaces and continue with those profits that they achieve there. But, you know, to your point, um, you're absolutely right. I've started covering this about the same time, 2016, 2017. And, you know, there was only, a few, I had a, a Nissan Leaf as well, then got into a Tesla in 2020, Model 3, but there wasn't much to choose from back in 2016. And now you're right. Uh, I carry, I, I do a spreadsheet and carry it around to my public events. And I show people the choice that we have. And in Europe, they have even more because they have more OEMs, especially the Chinese that are coming into those markets. So um, there's a lot of choice. But I think my frustration is, is not so much on the choice, but what I hear a lot is availability. I'd love to get one, but I got to wait a year or two years or they're not delivering yet or what. So uh, and the ones that might be on the lots today are the really expensive ones. <laughs> Case in point, like the Ford Mach-E's. I mean, you can get a, a Mach-E relatively quickly if it's a GT because they're pretty expensive, you know, 85, 90 grand Canadian. Uh, so it's a bit of a... a kind of a you know hit and miss there uh with some of the oems so i, I you know i again bring back gm because i think you know equinox is a product that can really kind of make that mainstream like like the bolt has the capability of doing you know they just didn't build enough and tesla's showing people want the right model y is the number one selling vehicle in the world right now 
you know, it used to be the Toyota Corolla, I believe, and, uh, and the F-150 was right up there. So that's quite a statement that, uh, as you said, you know, the move and the people that are wanting electrification um, is there. Uh, any impacts, since this is current, and I was just watching an interview um, that ABC did with Mary Barra, the CEO of GM, a little while ago about the strike that's now in place for the big three. Uh, do you see that as hampering or, you know, really seriously hampering the, the EV efforts for these uh, OEMs moving forward, or at least in the short term? So, you know, if the environment, environmental movement expects a full transition to electric vehicles, which we want to see, the workers building those cars can't be expected to earn less than their colleagues building gasoline-powered cars. Mm-hmm. Um, so want to say, you know, NRDC stands in solidarity with those workers and is mm-hmm. ready to work alongside our labor partners to ensure good jobs and safe working conditions are part of that clean car economy. So we think that, you know, good, well-paying jobs and clean car economy both need to work together and, and need to happen. Absolutely agreed. That's a great political answer. I like that. I'm glad you had it already just in case I asked the question. So, uh, uh, no, that's very interesting. Um, you know, it, it's an interesting article and an interesting viewpoint that you've taken just to kind of peel back some of those layers for the listeners that, you know, again, we're, we're seeing commercials, we're seeing Super Bowl ads, we're seeing a lot of stuff by by uh, all the pretty well, all the OEMs with products and some and they're all really capable products. I mean, I'm just I'm just wrapping up a review I'm doing on the Lexus RZ450e and it's you know it's got some shortcomings with that with that platform shared by by Toyota's BZ4X for uh, BZ4X and the so, Super Solterra, but still very capable EV that I would encourage uh, electric uh, owners to look at. It's there's nothing wrong with that, just like the others. So there's a lot of product coming. Any final thoughts that you want to leave with listeners about this subject or what to continue to watch and look forward to? Yeah, I love that you pointed out the car commercials recently because I, I even just last night I was sitting and watching TV and it seemed like every single commercial mm-hmm. was electric. <laughs> and um, there was even a commercial from my utility talking about charging infrastructure development too. So I, you know, I really encourage folks to start listening to these you know announcements and and ask questions too. I think there's a lot of misinformation that's being put out there about what an electric vehicle is, what some of these regulations that you hear about are. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot of there, there's a lot more information out there to kind of help you make a positive decision about this, this space. But the truth is, is that, you know, we are moving towards a zero emission vehicle future and that these vehicles provide a plethora of benefits, not mm-hmm. just for the climate, which I harped on today, but also for air quality, public health, to save drivers money. There's lots of tons of benefits and to help keep the United States competitive with our with the global space as well. So, um, you know, when you're watching these car commercials or you see these things on, ask the right, ask questions, um, you know, mm-hmm. do do research into more about what, what is happening in this space, because you'll find there's a lot of positive momentum, um, despite some of the news articles that you might hear about concerns over a transition to a zero emission vehicle future. Yeah, exactly. And one last question to you know, put on your, your, your crystal ball and your hat there. Um, you know, wh- wh- when do you see automakers kind of really solidifying, lining up what they're actually doing with these commitments? You know, wh- when do you, if you were to put a time frame, when do you see that actually happening? Are we closer than maybe we think? I think so. Yeah. So we're yeah. not that not that far off. It's just a bit of a minor. It's a concern to, to look at. And I guess what you're saying is to kind of continue to watch and like you said, reach out, ask those questions. Automakers, 
love to build what people want. And if people are asking for all electrics because that's what they want, they'll start getting the message and building more and moving away. Uh, is that correct? I guess that's that's how it works in Canada. Yes, absolutely. So uh, I, I think the education yeah. that you're doing, Kenneth, is, is wonderful as well. So, you know, again, there's lots of information out there mm-hmm. on the Internet with good people who are putting out really good, truthful information about what this transition means for, for you and your family. So I encourage you to, to take a look at all of that. Well, thank you very much. Uh, flattery will get you everywhere for sure. And I appreciate you being on my show. I've been speaking with Kathy Harris. She's a senior advocate for clean vehicles and fuels part of the Climate and Clean Energy Program at NRDC. Thank you very much, Kathy. It's been an delightful conversation. How can viewers, uh, listeners, and and, uh, find more information on NRDC? Sure. We have a lot of information on our website about clean vehicles. It's just nrdc.org. If you search for my name, just Kathy Harris, I have lots of blogs on this topic, including the one that we spoke about today. But a lot of my other colleagues have also dived deeply into a lot of these issues related to zero emission vehicle transition. Excellent. Well, I encourage the listeners to go check that out. And uh, Kathy, we'll we'll have to take a rain check on another episode because I'm sure the market, the way the dynamics are working, there's going to be some other cool things to talk about in the future. And please keep me in mind. uh, If there's something else you want to talk about, you know how to find me now. And I'll continue to uh, check out your guys' site and follow those uh, the blogs and, and information. It's really great stuff on the site. I appreciate what you guys are doing. So thank you very much. And again, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks again for listening, folks. You can email me if you have comments. Email at evrevolutionshow at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at evrevshow. I'm also on Instagram, evrevolutionshow. And if you uh, have any suggestions for shows, please let me know. Thanks again for listening. And please, everybody stay safe. And until the next time, I'll see you when I see you.